0: is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Russell Subiono.
1: And I'm Savannah Harriman-Pote. We are in for Catherine Cruz.
0: And today we're focusing on Olelo Hawaii, revisiting a few of our favorite stories, as well as sharing a few new ones. And to kick off our show, we get to hear from the voice behind the Hawaiian word of the day, the one and only Leilani Poliahu.
1: That's right. Hawaiian word of the day started right here on HBR almost 30 years ago. Russell... Do you know what the first word was? Was it radio? Great guess. It was actually aloha. I had the chance to sit down with Leilani in the studio, along with HBR's Hawaii Kula Ivi host Paige Okamura, who is helping to update Hawaiian Word of the Day's archive. When I was growing up, it was like Leilani Poliahu and then the voice of God... And those were the two, like, disembodied voices that existed in my life that impacted my day. Oh,
2: so sweet. Sometimes I, I think back when I hear it and I cringe. I'm like, oh, she was so young, and if only she knew now. But, but it's nice to hear. I think maybe my voice has
1: changed a little I definitely think that your voice, the voice of Leilani Poliahu, is one of the voices that people think of when they think of Hawaii Public Radio. It's probably the most well-known voice. Paige, do you remember the, the first time you heard Hawaiian Word of the Day, or what was your interaction with it growing up? I don't clearly remember the first
3: one. I just remember that it was part of the routine of the programming for HPI. At some point after I started working here, I think I still didn't realize it was a one-off and we just had banked these words that we kept using for the last 30 years. And so it actually took a while before even I realized, oh, wait a minute. I've heard that we've done this word before.
1: Do we know how many words are in rotation right now? I believe it's uh, around 300. 300? Yeah,
3: yeah. I'm pretty sure there's... Over 365 to account for every day of the year, plus some extra to rotate.
1: And I think over the years, maybe a couple have been pulled off the air. That's fascinating because I feel like every time I'm hearing Hawaiian Word of the Day, I'm hearing that word for the first time. Yeah, because there's enough to rotate.
3: There's probably like 380 words or something in order to rotate them every day in such a way that you wouldn't realize that you've already heard that word.
1: This was a a bank of words that was, was created 30 years ago, and I'm wondering if you have examples of words that might need to be updated or have been taken out of rotation, either because our understanding of them has changed or just our culture has changed. I know floppy disk was in... Rotation as part of Hawaiian Word of the Day. And fax machine.
3: I think they
2: took that one out, right?
3: <laughs> I was going to say, I thought floppy disk was still in there. <laughs> I think we did take that. out.
1: Are there other examples of words that have been reconsidered in the 30 years since this started?
3: I know that we've we've reconsidered a few. I think we pulled howley off the air because our understanding of the word howley has evolved beyond what it was in 1994. You know, our understanding has shifted, and so that should be reflected in the presentation for Hawaiian Word of the Day. Yes, I, I believe that we could definitely
2: use maybe some, more, some words that are more timely now th- with things that are going on in the news now. I would be willing to come back and do any number of words. Um, I think one of the initial goals of the Word of the Day was to help people learn correct pronunciation of certain words, um, certain words that maybe get commonly mispronounced in daily conversations, such as place names. So I I know one, um, one such word was lihue, which is the place on Kauai. The person who wrote all of the words, I was just a voice. The person who wrote them was Keith Haugen, and he specifically chose words that he thought would benefit the general public. So hopefully nobody,
3: um, once they hear that, will mispronounce lihu'e again. (laughs) Yeah, for your average listener, it's like a nice doorway for them to sort of understand either a word that they've heard before or to find a new word. I do see a lot of folks always replying to our social media with mahalo. So I always feel like they've learned one more word outside of mahalo, which is, it's, it's nice. It's a good way to sort of
1: be that first step for some people. I think that that pronunciation is a critical component, because even if you see a word over and over written down, if you're not familiar with the sound of that word, you can't really bring it into your everyday Paige, I want to step back for a moment, and I want to ask what your experience has been with Olilo Hawaii, both personally, but also in scholarship and in study.
3: Like most Hawaiian people my age, adults, oh, I'm an adult now, that's right. Um, We, you know, I grew up in a Hawaiian household that used Hawaiian words, but I also still grew up in a household where my grandparents prioritized English. You know, over Hawaiian. So we had certain words and phrases all my life, but really nobody spoke the language fluently in our household. So I think for us, we lost the language in two generations. So quite quickly, I started taking Hawaiian in high school and then into college, and now I have a degree in Hawaiian language. And so my fluency has increased, but so has my understanding not just of the language, but of the world, you know, of our world, of a Hawaiian world view. And um, when I was in college, I worked for Puakea Nogelmeyer for probably like six years, which is a long time when you're in college, <laughs> uh, but from my undergrad into my graduate studies. So I'm doing my master's in Olalo Hawaii. We've really kind of come full circle because Really, our children today can learn in Hawaiian from the time they're born, preschool, all the way through a Ph.D. program. So that wasn't really an option for my parents, but I've also seen it really change the landscape of the community as well. You know, because you're moving from a certain level of surface fluency to really being able to dig into... Not just the language and what the words mean, but what it means to be Hawaiian, you know, and really digging into our history.
1: Mm. And Leilani, what has your relationship been to the language? Where did you start? I
2: actually didn't start till I was at UH Manoa, and it was just this amazing thing that happened in my life, and I just wanted to do it for the rest of my life so that's why I went in education and became a teacher in the Hawaiian immersion program so that's where I've been the last 20s 20, 20 some what years and to see the growth from where the language was back then to see where it is now and how it's everywhere and so much so many more people are learning the language and so many more
1: opportunities and um things are available in Hawaiian We've talked about the merits of of giving people just vocabulary on the day-to-day that they, as Paige said, can have just one more word that they know in Hawaiian. But as two people who speak olelo Hawaii and have studied and taught olelo Hawaii, what do you gain when you go beyond vocabulary? Well, vocabulary is important.
2: It's the building blocks that you can build sentences with. But the olelo gives you a different thought, even a different thought process, like, the importance that the culture places on certain items are evident in the language, or the not importance of the self, because a lot of Hawaiian sentence structures are passive, meaning they don't even tell you who the actor was, whereas in English, the actor is always the first thing in the sentence. I did it. It just kind of changes your worldview and helps you understand the way that Hawaiians thought. And I think it's, it's critical... To learn the language, if you're going to understand understand the way that Hawaiians thought, and I think it's really important for for our Hawaiian people to learn, but not just Hawaiian people. Everyone can learn it because they live here, and just to to live here, and as Aaron Salah says, if you breathe Hawaiian air, <laughs> you, you you're breathing in. The mana of this place and the language is all part of that.
3: Yeah, and I think you know it's important that we don't get that we don't get stuck, right? We if we give people Hawaiian word of the day, but it's the same because the Hawaiian language community has grown exponentially. They've noticed. I've seen people say, "I've heard this word before." Do you have? Is this? What, what's going on here? We have access to so many more resources, so why aren't we using them? Because really what happens and what you want out of people is maybe they hear a word on Hawaiian Word of the Day, and they're interested, and maybe they learn a little more, a little more. But really what happens is once you've reached a certain level of, you know, kind of functional fluency, but even a little more than that, you're able to access a narrative that we as a people have not been able to access on our own for generations due to language demise. So we've only been used to the narrative that's been fed to us, that's been given to us in someone else's language. But once you're able to really see our history as a people in our own language, as told, written, by our own people that's a whole different world and it really changes the way you perceive everything you don't even wake up in the morning the same way you know you can't because now you know things that you'll never be able to forget and Leilani's right we want you to see Hawaii the way that the language tells you which actually has so much more depth than English does so Really, the importance for us to expand that resource at Hawaii Public Radio is in hopes of encouraging that because it's easy, I think, we've been used to folks telling us, oh, you don't need it. But once you learn enough about Hawaii's history from that primary source, it changes everything you look at. The political landscape here completely shifts for you because now you're able to understand history. As it was for Hawaiians not just as it was for you know the colonizer to tell you what your history was you can tell them what your history was
1: you both came to the Hawaiian language in a fuller way in an academic setting and you both still utilize it in an academic setting I'm curious where else gains have been made in terms of a Lelo Hawaii that really excite you? What other places the language is being used that make you think, okay, this is bringing the language into a really practical everyday use? That's That's been our goal from the beginning. Is like, um,
2: well, I mean sorry, I wasn't there in the beginning, beginning. But <laughs> <laughs> that's been our goal is to have the language everywhere. Um, with the immersion program, we don't want to raise just teachers. We want People that speak Hawaiian in all the industries, doctors, lawyers, e- everywhere. And I think we've, we've kind of made a lot of progress in that. Um, we have pilots. We have people in the, the movie industry, the TV industry. And just getting olelo um, Hawaii out there into the media and and it's not just what you do in the industries, it's in your home. That's that's one of our, our other goals is to have olelo Hawaii in the homes of people, have people raising their keiki in olelo Hawaii. Yeah, and I, th- I think we are seeing that come to fruition.
0: That was Hawaiian Word of the Day's Leilani Poliahu and HPR's Paige Okamura, host of the Hawaiian music show Hawaii Kula Evi, which you can listen to Sundays at 6 p.m. on HPR 1. A new Hawaiian language theater production at the University of Hawaii at Manoa explores complex issues of Hawaiian identity as told through the comedic lens of UH Manoa graduate student and playwright Akea Kahikina. HPR reporter Kuuvehi Hiraishi got a sneak peek of the play and joins us with more. Aloha ku'uvehi.
4: Aloha, Russell. This hanakiaka or play, is hilarious, first off the bat. Um, it's called Ho'oilina, which is Hawaiian for legacy or inheritance, and it really revolves around this Hawaiian family who recently lost their beloved and wealthy matriarch and are sort of anxiously waiting for the reading of the will to determine you know, who gets what. Uh, but just as the will is about to be read, dramatic pause, uh, we we meet Lily Lei, a Hawaiian looking woman with a Texan draw, who the family later learns is a biological daughter of the late matriarch. And Lily Lei sort of, you know, stakes her claim to the hefty endowment. Uh, Akea Kaikina, who wrote the play as part of his, pursuing his uh, master's in fine arts in Hawaiian theater, says the play really explores this question many uh, in the native Hawaiian community often struggle with. <laughs> So what does it mean to be Hawaiian? For some, they may not have grown up here, like the the woman who was born in Texas, but they're Hawaiian on their birth certificate. For some of us, Hawaiian language may be the thing that makes us uh, Hawaiian. Being a cultural practitioner may be something that makes us Hawaiian. Being born here might make us Hawaiian. And Kahikina says the play is just a way to stimulate these conversations. Conversations and showcase the multitudes of form of, of Hawaiian identity
0: I, I love that this is about Hawaiian identity you know and I, I, know, I lived in on the continent for many years, and I imagine other people that that have moved <laughs> there also Wrestle with their Hawaiian identity. Are are they Hawaiian if they don't live in Hawaii? Are they Hawaiian if they don't speak Hawaiian? I have plenty of family uh, that that wrestle with that as well. So this this is interesting. It's an interesting take. There's something, on
4: that. Yeah, yeah. There's something for everyone in there. And Akahikina himself had had explained that he, you know, he grew grew up not um, really being immersed in the language necessarily or. Uh, practicing dancing hula and so part of him was sort of like okay am i you know i'm hawaiian enough and he explores this in depth in this in this play another intriguing component of the play that's fun for the linguistic minded is that it's performed mostly in olelo hawaii uh, but audiences will also hear a multitude of languages including english uh, pidgin, and what kahikina dubs olelo mahu or queer creole
0: he explains
3: uh, Hawaiian
4: language has this long-standing tradition of garbling language, so these secret languages to conceal information. For olalomahu. mahu, he says it sounds like pig Latin, and it's something uh, his boyfriend had actually grew up around and, and been exposed to, and they bring it into into the place. So for an example, he says the word Mary would be, uh, you'd say, <laughs> erime, if you were speaking, olelo mahu. And you'll hear more of this in uh, the in the play. You pretty much, you know, the later end of the word is what changed. And he says it's, it was really fun to do um, and for the characters and actors to actually, you know, have it be a part of their everyday uh, work. Um, for those who may not have heard it before or never been exposed to this idea of olelo kake, it really is uh, um, something that he wanted to make sure everyone, yeah, is more exposed to.
0: I, I love this idea that that he's delving into a like a sub dialect right. of the language. I think it's very interesting. I've heard it. I, I've, <laughs> I've been around some people who have spoken it, so it'll be interesting to see it up on the stage as well what i'm curious about as as someone who's not fluent in olelo hawaii for for you who who are fluent will will we be able to understand will we be able to absorb the, the message in the play if we don't speak. Yes, Hawaii.
4: yes. I was actually pretty, um, I've been to previous plays from the Hawaiian Theater, um, from Hawaiian Theater students here, and it was completely immersed and old Hawaiian and, you know, the chants and whatnot. This is set in the modern day Hawaii, mm-hmm. and so they're talking about COVID, they're talking about um, the experiences that we have here now, and I think in Pidgin or a little bit of Hawaiian Sprinkled In and English, I think you'll be able to get there. I think for Hawaiian language speakers and those who know olelo Mahu, however, <laughs> sort of like an in, interesting, you, you're the insider and you know a little bit more than what the general audience uh, will be able to see.
0: I, I've been to graduations before where the entire ceremony was in olelo Hawaii. <laughs> and I think after, if you're really paying attention, after a while, you start to understand, right? You may not know the translation per se but you start to understand what's being said I'm also looking forward to the pigeon Um, (laughs) to to see more pigeon up on stage uh, will be very cool to see uh, was there anything else interesting that struck you about the play?
4: No, just the the conversations that are bound to come out out of you know the the plot and the story that's being told on stage. I think that uh, impact to the community will be very uh, interesting to follow.
0: I think that's a hallmark of a of a well written play is the the conversations that come out afterward. Well, thank you so much for, for hanging out with us.
4: Mahalo for having me.
0: We've been talking to Kuuvehi Hiraishi, one of our HPR reporters here. To read more of our stories, go to our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. Last three years, University of Hawaii at Manoa professor Noinoi Silva has combed through editions of Hawaii's Nahoku o Hawaii, the last Hawaiian-language newspaper to be published in the 1940s.
1: And within its pages, she made a remarkable discovery. A handful of dedicated female columnists who stepped up to preserve olelo Hawaii and the language of their communities through their writing. Here's a rebroadcast of my interview with Professor Silva about the legacy of these women and Kahoku o Hawaii. Here's Silva.
5: There were thousands, probably, of people who did not read English, that read only Olalo Hawaii. And so they got their news, their literature, games, these word puzzles called nane, riddles and word puzzles. And they got communication with other speakers of olelo Hawaii from one end of the archipelago to another. So people in Ni‘ihau were were reading the same newspaper as people on Hawaii Island. Those two poles of the archipelago are the places where there were more Hawaiian-speaking communities. And so they could get to know each other through the newspaper. So in this period that you start with, 1938,
1: a lot of olelo Hawaii newspapers have stopped publishing, not because, as you say, there were a lack of speakers or a lack of interest, but because running a newspaper is hard. It's not particularly profitable. And so Kahoku o Hawaii elicits both sponsorship, they're asking for people to subscribe to the paper, but also they want people to contribute, to contribute their writing and their stories, You've identified Sitzwahine that stepped up in relatively rapid succession and answered that call. Why do you think women were particularly drawn at this moment in time to contribute to the
5: kahuku? Or do you think they were inspired by one another? I definitely think that they were inspired by one another. So it started out with... Inez Ashdown, who is a writer, fairly well-known writer. She's a, a non-Hawaiian historian from Maui who published books and so forth. She was a well-known writer during her lifetime in English as well as in Olelo Hawaii. She learned Olelo Hawaii as a child. So she started sending her writing, and I'm not sure sure why. And then she turned it into a column, and then the other women followed suit, like you say, if, about Every two months, another woman from another island would, would start, you know, and say, oh, I want to do this too. And they had a lot of mahalo for each other. They included thanks to each other in their columns. They realized that the life of the language and the life of the newspaper at that point were intertwined, that the newspaper was a way of keeping the language alive. Several of them were teachers or working at schools, and I think that they didn't have enough resources to keep the language going, and so I think that they were concerned. One of them even wrote that the the students weren't particularly fluent in English or Hawaiian, <laughs> and they enjoyed the paper, too, and they enjoyed each other's writings, too, so... Part of what was going on in the paper was, was pleasure in the language. You know, our kapuna delighted in the language. The language is just full of games and elaborate metaphors. And, and uh, so they wanted to keep that kind of writing going. They didn't want to lose that. The people who were playing, who were constructing these things, specifically were trying to reach young people. And, and saying, you know, if you study and work hard, you can play this really fun game with us, which is also really, really hard. <laughs> so that was going on, too. There was a lot of pleasure, I think, in keeping the language going.
1: Yeah, you talk about how these these women were sharing their stories with each other and with their readers and a lot of their columns were details about their life and where in the islands they lived, which may seem a little pedestrian to us just at face value, but I wonder what we understand Now, looking back at those, about the opportunities and experiences of women in that era because these women sat down to write about their lives.
5: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the important things is that even up until today, although less so due to a lot of work by a lot of Kanaka, we're fighting against, and they were even more so, Fighting against stereotypes and anti Hawaiian racism that was really blatant at the time. You can hear it in the songs from that time. You know, the Hawaiians are on welfare and they're lazy and they just want to sit around and play the ukulele all day. Those kinds of things. And so just by recording what they do and who they are, we can see this school teacher, business owner, homestead farmer, school principal. These are serious people with serious purposes in life, these women. Are there other specific examples of
1: the knowledge that would have been lost if we didn't have these columns?
5: Yes. So Abby Palaya, she lived in Keikaha on Kauai, which is on the west side. The people of Ni'ihau and the people in, in Keikaha and, and Waimea are the same families. They go back and forth between the west side of Kauai and, and Ni'ihau. So this is a Hawaiian-speaking community. It's in Ni'ihau. People with connections. She had family connections in Ni'ihau. So she wrote about her aina and one of the epithets that she used for the area was Kauai Ili Ula Ame Kauai Kea. So Kauai Ili Ula is the water that has a red surface and Waikea is a white water. And these two together used to be quite common, this epithet for the area. It describes that the Waimea River – Waimea, by the way, means red water also – so the Waimea River is reddish, and then the Machiavelli River is clear, and then where they meet, you can still see that one side of the stream, one side of the river is red and one side of the river is clear. Only one of those things has survived, as far as what we have in reference materials. Only one of those terms, white Ili, Ula, has survived, and the other one kind of dropped off. Um, That's one thing. And then there's other place names and ways that people used to do things that are recorded in there that we may not have otherwise. Yeah, you had a very... A fascinating and evocative example of a particular type of fishing strategy that was used, I believe, in Kialikikua Bay. Yes, yes. I had forgotten about that. So that was Evelyn um, Pe'a Deshay who went by the pen name of Kaimalino. Um, she describes, yeah, fishing there at Napoopo'o, And, or wait, this might, I actually think this might have been in Milo Li'i because it wasn't in her It wasn't where she lived in Napo'opo. I think they're at Milo'li'i. And the people there had trained dogs to do the splashing to drive the fish into their nets. So she said there were four dogs, I think, that they had trained to do that. Yeah, that was an interesting detail. I don't know. Maybe they still do that down there. I don't know. In your article, you take excerpts
1: of their writing so that people can see it and hear it and read it. Is there a particular selection of this writing that
5: you would be able to share with us today? Sure. Hattie, lino haupua o Reinhardt. I wanted to say her Hawaiian name. It's so beautiful, too. Um, in 1941, she's talking about the value and the pleasure of the newspapers. And she writes this beautiful paragraph Here's some excerpts of it she says he mea o kokeya ko apo e helu helu kahoku e malama e kahoku nu pepo kahoku miki loy valeyaku mana luli ili ai ay ole iloko na kini opala he malama wo ina nu pepa kahoku Pauloa, pelana nu pepa kahiko o kiku okoa." He nui na mea na awau maloko, na olelo no eao, anamakua kahiko, na ma olelo kahiko o hawaiinei maloko na nupepa. I helu helu ho ana no i a lakou, hei hau oliko uuhane, ikaba e uana ana o waho, a ole e hiki i na hana e hana i a ma waho, e huli no wau loko lako o, lakau, o e ho i na nupepa helu helu i na mo kahiko, so she's saying there that, you know, don't throw your copies of the newspaper away. She saves her copies of Hokuo Hawaii, the paper she's writing in, and she used to save her old copies of the Ko'a paper. And she says the paper has a lot of wise or educational content um, it has Olelo No'eau, the wise things and proverbs, and it has Mo'olelo Kahiko, so the old Hawaiian Mo'olelo. And um, she says that these old Mo'olelo, she gets wisdom and knowledge from them, and these things help and support her in her life. They're such specific and powerful
1: details that were just a part of these women's lives. But to us, provide a window into their experience and also an understanding of what Olelo Hawaii is specifically able to capture yeah. about the islands. Aside from the documentation that these women did, they came to these papers or specifically to Kahoku o Hawaii with the intention to perpetuate Olelo Hawaii, to perpetuate the Hawaiian language Can you talk about the specific initiatives they championed
5: to preserve the language? Mm -hmm. So this went on from 1900 all the way up until the 1940s. And then afterwards, as we started again in the 1970s, there were bills entered into the legislature to increase the number of classes of olelo Hawaii in the schools to establish Olelo Hawaii schools in Hawaiian homes, homestead communities, and so forth. And so these women would champion those things in their columns and you know, ask people to participate and talk to their representatives and try to get these bills passed. They would also let people know when there were classes in their communities where they could go and learn Hawaiian, and they would, all of those kinds of things Alice Bannum right at the time when she started writing her column before she just before, weeks before she wrote into the newspaper to let them know that they were putting on a play at Lahaina Luna that was a three act play about the history of Lahaina Luna this is going to be open to the public two acts of the three act play were in Olelo Hawaii only with no translation. They wrote this and they performed it and this is in 1939 so there was a big enough audience around Lahaina that they felt that they could put on a play in which two-thirds of which was in Olala Hawaii and she wrote to the paper saying this is what we're doing and I have the script um, if you folks would like to publish it and the editor Solomon Anakalea said yes and then they published it this whole History with songs and everything of the establishment of Lahaina Luna Seminary. So it was those kinds of things. So Alice uh, Bannum was her job was the matron. She was the matron of the dormitory and the dining hall, but she did so much more than that. So she doesn't say she wrote this. But I get the feeling she wrote it, <laughs> or at least <laughs> co wrote it, right? She's very proud of this, and she was definitely directing or helping to direct this play and make sure it went on. So, this kind of encouragement and this pride, the pride and the pleasure of Olelo Hawaii was inspiring to other people, and I think it kept them going a, a, a little bit longer, you know. And so, when the newspaper ended in 1948, It wasn't that long before, in 1972, that Larry Kimura established a a radio show every Sunday evening on KCCN AM in Olelo, Hawaii only. It wasn't that long that Olelo, Hawaii wasn't audible and visible in some manner publicly. And so a lot of work had to be done between 1972 and today. We're, we're able to have this discussion on Hawaii Public Radio. And we have thousands of students who've gone through programs in OLELO Hawaii. We've made a lot of progress. So I have a lot of mahalo for them for continuing on and fighting back against this kind of racism against Hawaiians that was in the English paper every day rather than have a protest march or something, they're just like, well, I'm going to write. And just knowing their stories, just having their autobiographies is inspiring.
0: That was UH professor Noi Noi Silva talking with the conversation Savannah Harriman-Pote. Silva shared the stories of six female columnists who wrote for Kahoku o Hawaii, the last Hawaiian language newspaper in the
1: 1940s. (laughs) State lawmakers continue to mull over restoring the original place name, Paulaula, to Russian Fort Elizabeth on Kauai. Senate Resolution 119 will be heard by the House Judiciary and Hawaiian Affairs Committee in the coming days. But they aren't the only ones making name changes around our state.
0: Last year, the city and county of Honolulu restored original names to two North Shore beaches.
1: Pounders is now Pahu Moa, and Laie Beach Park is now Laie Lohe Lohe.
0: This followed the erection of a sign bearing the name Hunananiho at the entrance of what had been officially known as Waimanalo Bay Beach Park, but more commonly known as Sherwoods. Here's a rebroadcast of my interview with Waimanalo native Kalani Kalima, who talked about the meaning behind the original name and history of the area. Can you share with our listeners the meaning of the name?
6: So going off of Pounders Beach and everything else, Mm -hmm. we met with Ariel Kupunasai Bridges, who had shared with us the original name, which was Pahumoa, named after the Konohiki of that area, which was his uh, grandfather and lai Elohe as we all know the Mo'olelo, or for those that don't know the Mo'olelo, uh, lai Elohe Elohe or lai Kawaii is made famous in song and in chant and is really peely to that area. So I had helped out to draft that, that resolution to change the name. I also helped to draft the resolution to uh, change the name from Sherwoods to Hunananiho. And the thing about that is that when we look at the the history of the area, and how it was taken you know it was once crown lands and then a portion was taken out so it could be given for bellows and then they eventually returned to to become a state park and from the state they went over to become a city park now when it was a state and it was transitioning that is when they ended up using an archaeologist to look it up to, to find out what's going on and that is when he found a lot of burials a lot of EV. So he had actually put it on top of a list of historic places and we utilized that in order to protect the area.
0: I remember in 2019, the city attempted to start construction of a new athletic field there at Hunananiho, a decision that was protested by a large portion of the community and ultimately scrapped last year. Can you remind our listeners why those community members felt it was important to prevent that area from de- being developed in that way. I know Evi Kupuna was a big reason. Is there any idea how many EVR are out there? And is in addition to being a burial site, were there other reasons why the community wanted to keep it preserved the way it is?
6: Well, according to the archaeological finds, yeah, Waimanalo is, has some of the earliest habitation sites in all of Hawaii. And they got a lot of artifacts that date back to the Marquesas, to Nuku Hiva. And there's no no place else in Hawaii that has those artifacts. So that goes to the earliest of migrations. And, you know, when when we look at human migration in general, Hawaii, Aotearoa, Iceland were the very fringes, the very last areas to be um, migrated to. So we, we believe that... Not only did that showcase how important this is for us all of Hawaii and especially the Kanaka Maoli, and the Kanaka Oiiwi of the area, it also had the oldest graveyards. And that is what we, we utilize to try and protect the area. Not, not just because of the Iiiwi, but also the, cult, the historical and cultural sites that, that was there, that is still there. We understand the history, that this was a part of the Bellows Complex and that the military had bulldozed a long-standing graveyard. But what they did was they ended up spreading the graveyard even further and making it even even larger. So more so we felt it important to try and protect whatever was left over.
0: What are the community's plans to protect the area? Is it just to kind of leave it as it is, or are there plans down the road to maybe, maybe restore some of the history there?
6: You know, the great part was going back to the community and having these community meetings that everybody was, um, you know, we we tried to invite everybody by, um, you know, social media, putting up flyers at Shimas and other places and just trying to spread the word. And for those that came, they were able to um, pretty much set up what are some of the things that, that they can foresee would be in the best interest of all people community, the kanaka, and the general public. So we had showcased those to the mayor and everybody else. You know, this is what the community wants. This is how it, they want to see us moving forward. And I believe those those meetings went pretty well. So right now, we have to change the name. Yeah, everybody knew it as Waimanalo Bay Beach Park. Mm-hmm. A lot of people remembered the old nickname, which is Sherwoods which stood for Sherwood Forest, as everybody knows, the, the mo'olelo of uh, Robin Hood, somebody who would steal from the rich and give to the poor. Uh, the reason why they ended up utilizing that was because in the 70s, when the Robin Hood TV show was popular, it was also a place where, you know, people would steal and, you know, do, do the nefarious things in the forest. So in order to change that, had yeah, to change the narrative, in order to change it into a positive it's kind of like Kuli. If you look at the Mo'olelo of Nanakuli and what the community wanted to do in creating Nanai Kapono, we wanted to do the same thing. We wanted to take something that was a negative and change it into a positive so that we can bring more life, more Ola into the area.
0: I love that idea. And I, I love that these beaches are getting their their names restored. And can you elaborate more on the process that, that you went through, the community went through, to be able to restore the original place name? Did you have to file some paperwork? Were there hearings that had to happen?
6: So first, we went back, you know, we had met amongst ourselves, the the community of Waimanalo and anybody who had wanted to be a part of this movement to protect the area. And, you know, we had done our own research and we had found out that Waimanalo, and we've there's there's many of us that have known this for years. Waimanalo has their own Pu'uhonua. Yeah so a pu'uhonua Nua is some place that is sanctified by not only the Kahu or, or the uh, the ones that, that ensure the sanctity of the place is is followed, the protocols is followed. So you need a Kahu and you need iwi. Yeah so Hunana niho our, our Puuhonua. When we looked at Waimanalo and we looked at the the area that we were in, knowing that there are a lot of E. V. over there, knowing that there was a resurgence of understanding that we had um, the people had stepped forward to be the kahu. So if you if you look at that and you understand that Honolulu, you know on on Oahu, the six moku, and back in the 1800s they had changed the Moku of Kona to Honolulu. But when you, look at the, when you look at the history and understand that Honolulu was actually named after an Ili and a Konohiki of that area, it wasn't a name for the whole place. Right. It used to be Ko. And so they changed the narrative. They changed the name to make it fitting for that area. And we felt that utilizing research, utilizing the teachings of our kupuna, we looked at utilizing the name Hunana Niho and what does that mean? You know, there's different different researchers that went out and found Haunu na niho, huana na niho, huana na niho. But I, I really like the explanation from Humuhula Frank Kawaii Hewitt who had shared with us that to Hunana niho it means to lay secret as something that is so sacred, something that is so personal as one's teeth. So niho means teeth. So When we, um, you know, we met with the larger public, we talked to everyone and, and we wrote down all of the notes. We got all of that, all of the breakout sessions and everything else, we wrote down everybody's Manao. And when we talked to the former mayor, Caldwell, he finally understood what we were saying. You know, we were saying all this time that this is someplace that is sacred. It's the earliest habitation sites. It's the earliest graveyard in all of Hawaii. So for people, for Americans who celebrate the coming of the pilgrims and they celebrate, they celebrate the Plymouth Rock, this is our Plymouth Rock. For Christians that talk about Kinohi or the Genesis, this is our Genesis. We were Maoli people throughout the Pacific. to And when we came to Hawaii, that's when we was Pili to this Aina. So with all of that understanding, We move forward to share this, and we we created a resolution last year that didn't go forward from our our prior council member, Keika Anderson. He stopped that process from going forward. But we were blessed with Councilwoman Esther Kia'aina and others to look at this process and to see the importance of it going forward.
0: From what I read, the council voted unanimously to rename the park which i think is is very symbolic of a renewed understanding of cultural identity and and i feel like these renaming of the beaches are, are it's kind of part of a broader restoration of our culture what would you say to someone who doesn't understand why it's important to local communities that names are getting replaced or restored with their traditional place name. What would you say to these people who don't quite understand?
6: All we can do is share what we've the aloha that we have for this Aina and like you had shared, restore the names. You know, if we look at names of places, you'll understand process that happened to it. Now all we have to do is share with people the history prior to that. Because I'm, I'm good with having all of those names, but starting with original names, because yeah. all of those different names share a portion of who came in, you know, in the 40s, had these people came over here. He was surfing over here, and the sets were so long, and it remind him of, reminded him of the story of China, the, wall, the Great Wall of China, mm-hmm. and that is how he called it China Walls. Hey, that's a great story. No different than naming your child. Your child should understand what is the context, what is the background, so that when, when they speak about themselves and share their name, they can share it with pride because they have the knowledge of it. And so when we're looking at today's names, nicknames, the key is to just be open-minded than just know. Not all knowledge is, is received in one source. Once you can you can hold that dear, then you can humble yourself in knowing that even though you may know a lot, you may not know it all. And it, it allows us to be open, to learn from other sources, to share mana'o with others so that we can get a better understanding and appreciation. And I, I believe that's what's going on in, the, in city council is that hey, they're getting it and that's awesome. They're listening to to the people, and that's awesome. You know, let us continue to build this relationship so that it can be beneficial for everybody.
0: Thank you so much for your time, Kalani. appreciate it. Mahalo nui.
1: That was Kalani Talima talking with HBR's Russell Subiano about the meaning and history behind Hunananiho. The city once called it Waimanalo Bay Beach Park, but you probably knew it as Sherwoods.
0: And that wraps it up for today. Tomorrow, we'll talk to a curator from the National Tropical Botanical Garden and hear from gardeners on Oahu to mark the celebration of National Gardening Month.
1: Got feedback? Share your comments or questions about the stories we cover by calling our Talkback line, 808-792-8217. You can also email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org.
0: Connect with us on Facebook, Hawaii Public Radio, and on Instagram at WeRHPR. You can also listen back to past shows on our website. Just go to the conversation page of our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Russell Subiono.
1: And I'm Savannah Harriman-Pote. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.